Well, hello there, friend, and welcome to the Cultivating Jewels podcast. This show is all about embracing the promise of abundance and cultivating what really matters in life. I'm your host, Amber Durgan, and together we will discuss what it means to be women devoting ourselves to Christ through all the various roles we play. I'm so excited you have joined me today and cannot wait to uncover the jewels that are sure to be ours. Welcome. Hello, it is Friday. I have my coffee and I am going to get this podcast recorded for you all today. I must apologize. This is going out a day late. This last week has been a bit crazy. So rewind until last Thursday. It was our youngest last day of preschool. We were enjoying cupcakes on our patio. The boys played, had lunch took a nap. My oldest, our oldest, woke up from his nap, really gasping for air and just having troubles breathing. I had to eventually get him into the ER where he was diagnosed with croup. He's had this several times and is secure, so it wasn't anything super out of the ordinary or scary in that we knew how to deal with it. It was scary when he woke up really struggling with breathing. So he gets croup. Fast forward two days from that, I come down with his cold. And as I told my husband, it's no wonder Matthew's turned into croup because you all, I don't know what it was. This cold was like a monster cold. You might even still be able to hear a little bit of it in my voice. So I came down with it Saturday completely wiped me out. We did not even go to church last week. I slept, literally slept all day Sunday and just yesterday really started feeling better. So I apologize. This is a day late. It's not my intention to ever be late, but as a mama of two young little ones and just with everything else going on, I do tend to put these podcast recordings off usually until the day before. Um, And then when I'm sick, I really can't do much about that. So apologize. I want to make a note before we jump into our topic at hand today. Starting today and going through until likely September, we're going to go back to an every other week podcast schedule. We had been on every week since January, But because of the summer is busy for folks and because I want you guys to be out there enjoying your summer, we are only going to do two episodes a month, which will bring us through our friendship book. But then in September, I am lining up some amazing guests. I cannot wait for them to be on the show. So those will be ready in September. But again, for the summer, it's just going to be us going through our friendship book, which I'm super excited about because I've loved doing this series on friendship where Rebecca Hargraves, my best friend who I wrote this book with, is doing the part of the chapter she wrote again on her podcast. And I am doing what I wrote on my podcast. And then for the chapters we individually wrote, Rebecca wrote one and I wrote one. We will have each other on our podcast to interview. Lots of fun. And I am, again, thoroughly enjoying going through these with you. Today, we talk about 
getting there. That's our chapter title, chapter three. And this is kind of the portion of the book where we change direction just a little. The first two chapters were very much biblical study based, where we took a deeper dive into the Bible to see what it taught on friendship. And of course, there's still going to be biblical teaching on friendships in chapters three through the remainder of the book. But we kind of change directions a little bit in that now Rebecca and I are teaching you from our personal experiences, our friendships, a myriad of topics regarding friendship from how to be a friend to later on the book, online friendships to boundaries to all sorts of things. So today I started chapter three just by talking about the importance of community. I think, and I know we live in a culture that is very hustle-based, go, go, go. We intentionally or not often try to do things on our own. We think we are too busy for friends. Really, that's a heartbreaking way to live. I know that we live in a completely different societal setup and culture, but let's think back to our ancestors. Random tidbit, but my guilty pleasure, quite literally, is watching Little House on the Prairie. I've been watching episodes on Amazon Prime and it just sets my soul ablaze. I love that show. I love her story. I love just the whole pioneer way of life. I love their dress. Literally, if it wasn't frowned upon or like just completely out of left field in our society, I could totally see myself wearing a bonnet in those dresses. But that is completely out of topic. My point is Back in that day, community was huge. Friendship and relationship was really at the core of everything they did. And I know we are busy, but let's think back to their life. In many respects, we have a lot of conveniences they didn't have, even down to things like a dishwasher and a washing machine and a dishwasher. I know Rebecca talked about in her episode this week, the study that was when washing machines came into vogue when they were in many people's homes there was depression that washed through women's lives because they were no longer taking their laundry down to a communal place and being able to chat while they did this chore of laundry now everyone was isolated into their own homes doing laundry and that caused a depression i want us to think about our ancestors who were hardworking individuals setting up this country working farms mining building railroads, skyscrapers, a highway system, teaching, taking care of the sick. Arguably, they were just as busy, if not more busy, than we are, and they had time for friendship. They placed value on community. Where if we told them, if we were able to communicate with them, and we told them that we could do life alone, or we're too busy for friends, they'd probably scoff at us. It might break their heart just because the value they did place on it, and they saw its importance. One of my dear mentors, Mrs. Wood, coined a phrase, life is too important to do alone. I hope that with that phrase, and in addition, this chapter Rebecca and I have written, you will be able to see just the blessing and the need for life-giving friendships in your life. Even if we could do life alone, it's depressing and lonely road. Think about the blessing, the vibrancy, the color, the life your friends bring into your life. I think back again, my whole ministry is based on the verse John 10, 10. God came to give his life, abundant life, life to the full. The enemy who thrives in isolation, by the way, 
who wants us alone so that he can do his dirty work. Remember in the Garden of Eve, Garden of Eden, he took Eve aside to where she was by herself and tempted her to eat the fruit. Our enemy, the one who steals, kills, and destroys, wants us alone so he can do his work. Our life is more abundant and full when we are together with others, when we are in friendship. The Lord delights in placing you in friendship. If you don't have these friends, if you that all sounds great, but Amber, where do I get these friends? The most important thing I can do is to tell you to pray. The Lord will provide because friendship, again, is his construct. It's his creation, and it really, truly delights his heart when his children are in friendship with each other. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to show yourself friendly. We have to ourselves to be friendly. We have to ourselves sometimes get out of our comfort zone and attend church functions and attend maybe school function if your children are in school so that we can get to know other people. It would be great if friendship just fell into our lap, but it takes work. And I hope as part of this chapter you can see that it's beautiful, blessed work, but it takes our intention. It takes us showing ourselves friendly in order to have friends. During the time of writing this chapter, we were smack dab in the middle of COVID restrictions and social distancing and isolating away in our homes. I think so much of that showed us just how important community is. We saw mental health rates, suicides, depression, all skyrocket when we couldn't be near each other. I wrote in this chapter, and it was a blessing to me to go back and read this story about Heidi St. John. Many of you might follow her on Instagram, how she shared when they were able to be back in church, their pastor encouraged them to air hug and elbow high five, and how in greeting each other like that, many of the parishioners of their church broke down and wept just because of the sheer joy of being back together. Community and the importance thereof really cannot be overestimated. It's one of the biggest topics I talk about in my ministry and one of the reasons I wanted to write this book just because, again, it is so important. Going on further in the chapter, I talked about five blessings of friendship. They're untold blessings of friendship, let's be honest. But in this chapter, I wanted to just look at five. For the sake of time, we could write a whole novel on the blessings of friendship. In this chapter, though, I talk about how friends enrich our lives. The really neat thing is that because we are all unique individuals, our friendships are all going to be different. I have friends that I am very, very similar with, and those friendships are able to provide me comfort and familiarity. We get each other in a deeper level than I would with a friend that's not as similar. I have friends, and we all should have friends, that are vastly different than us. It's a problem when all of our friends are looking exactly the same because we want our lives to be enriched. And when we're all looking the same, when we're hearing the exact same thing from all of our friends, they all have the same viewpoint, beliefs, etc. It's then that our life is not made as enriched because we're missing out on differences that people can bring into our lives. Do want to make a point because I can almost hear someone asking or questioning this. There are friends in our lives who will have different beliefs than us. That should be a thing. But I would, of course, caution you, as Christian people, we should probably be closest with other Christians. We should, however, be friendly towards and have friendships with unbelievers. Remember, Jesus had his 12 disciples. They were his closest group. 
But then outside that, he's still ate and drank with sinners. He came for sinners. Or in friendship with sinners, it's more likely they will hear the gospel message. So yes, keep Christians closest to you, but don't be afraid to be friends with people who are not Christian. And that wasn't even so much my heart behind this blessing of friends enrich our lives, but I just felt compelled to share that with you all this morning. Even if someone is saved, they may be vastly different than us. And it's in those differences that we are able to grow. Again, because if we surround ourselves with everyone who's exactly the same as us, everyone who holds the same belief, it is a blessing in its own way, but it's when we're able to grow that friendship proves a new and a different kind of blessing. And if you think about it, I think different friendships bring out different aspects of our personality and maybe aspects of ourselves. We didn't even know we're there until God introduced that friend to us and we grew in friendship. It is similar to how when we get married, our personalities change and we grow. We should always be growing and changing. Part of the sanctification process not part of it, the sanctification process is growing and changing to become more like Christ. We should be in friendships that are iron sharpening, iron friendships that are biblical friendships that are bringing us closer to Christ. The point of friendship is not just so that everything is rainbows and butterflies and cupcakes. It's just, it's not. And I don't say that to degrade friendship. Let me share a situation that I'm learning in real time, something I am walking through in real time. My dear friends who live across the country from me, something happened yesterday that had to do with an outside party, and I'm not going to. Y'all know me. I try very hard to not disclose details when it's not just my story, but I do want to share this so that um, you can see that even when things are challenging or hard, there is still blessing to be had in friendship. A situation came up yesterday that had to do with an outside party, so a fourth person, not me or my dear friends. I had to do with that person's communication with one of my friends and then brought to my attention and just there was some iron sharpening iron moment. There were some lessons we had to learn. There were some apologies we had to make to each other. There were some understandings we had to come to and it wasn't a moment in friendship that was like, oh my goodness, this is all so fun. I love it. But it was a moment in friendship that because we were in an ironing sharpened iron friendship that was able to grow us, it was able to bring us closer together, it was able to sanctify us and bring us closer to the Lord. So please don't think that your friendships always need to be lighthearted and wonderful. If you are in, which I pray you are, I hope you are, iron sharpening iron biblical friendships, there are going to be hard times you walk through. But again, those times are going to enrich your friendship, maybe more than the lighthearted and fun times. Both are needed. I now am going to move on to the second blessing I talked about within this chapter, which is that friends can improve our health. Proverbs 17:22. I'm always quoting from the Proverbs. I love the Proverbs. I try to read them through monthly just because they're chock full of wisdom and I can read them monthly for the rest of my life and still not have arrived. They're so good. Anyhow, Proverbs 17:22 tells us a cheerful spirit is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Thinking about health holistically, what impacts our spirit goes on then to 
impact our physical bodies. Participating in friendship allows us to experience a sense of belonging and purpose, an increase in happiness, and a reduction of stress, and improvement of self-confidence and worth. It also helps us to deal with trauma and can encourage us to change unhealthy lifestyle choices. All the people said amen, we needed to get ourselves some friends. Super fascinating bit of research. It's always so cool when research echoes what the Bible said for years. But from Mayo Clinic staff, says adults with strong social support have a reduced risk of many significant health problems, including depression, high blood pressure, and an unhealthy body max index, BMI. Studies have even found that older adults with a rich social life are likely to live longer than their peers with fewer connections. How stinking cool is that, you all? I think of like I talk in this chapter about back in the day when I was running, which I miss so much. Side note, I'm not running right now because my husband and I are experiencing some infertility and my body does not need the stress of running. One day I'm excited to get back to it. Anyhow, when I was running, there's just such a community. People want to help people. I was getting healthy, I was getting fit because I was running, but at the same time, I was making friends because I had that connection. We were all runners. It's like a family. But rest assured that even if you don't run, there's so many ways our friends can make us more healthy. I was thinking about it this morning, and when I'm with Becca and Lonnie, we laugh. We joke that we laugh ourselves six packs. We laugh so much. And there's been study after study about how important laughter is for us, right? When I'm with my bonus mama, my dear friend Becky, she has such an eye for beauty. She has taught me to look for beauty. And beauty has a profound impact on our health. Another thing Luani has taught me to do on a more practical sense is drink water. That girl always drinking water. I struggle so much with drinking water. So being her friend has encouraged me to drink more water. It is pretty cool that our friends can make us healthier. The next blessing I wrote about was that friends can help us cope. How true is that? How beautiful it is that we have a friend to help us cope in our time of need. I think of the verse, I believe it is in Amos, that talks about how our burdens become less when we can share them. Another bit of information from Carnegie Mellon University talk about how when we do have friends to talk to when we are going through things, those who are drug or alcohol users, their dependence on drugs or alcohol, their rate of turning to those became less when they had a friend to talk to. I just think that's so beautiful. And even, I don't want to say beyond friendship, but gives us as a church, let's turn to look at the church quickly, gives us as a church such a role to step into. There is a lot of balls the church has struck. I love the church. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to throw shade at the church, but I will not stand by and be quiet about stuff we could do better. I am dealing with this in my own ministry right now because I'm trying to build a ministry for Christian eating disorder recovery. That is another ball the church has dropped. I think, just think about the powerful implications of the church being the hands and feet of Christ, the church doing what we should be doing as a church, stepping into fill these voids and just how powerful that is for people that people might even come to know the lord when we're actually being the hands and feet of jesus you all it just again shows how very important relationship is we can't just in this case of the church we'll go back to friendship in a minute i promise but as a church we've got to get out of our tendency to look beyond these issues to treat them as issues rather than people and really become more relational, enter into the brokenness so that we can help people cope 
so that we can introduce them to Jesus as the perfect way of coping. I'm super passionate about that, and I could make a whole podcast episode on it. But to return to friendship, the blessing of having friends in our lives so that when things get hard, we have someone to turn to is huge. Again, it goes back to life is too important to do alone. I think of just the truth that our friends are able to keep us grounded. So for me, I'm very black and white thinker. When something is going bad, a tendency I have is to look at everything else in my life going wrong. Instead of realizing that yes, this might be bad, this might be hurtful, this might be painful, but it doesn't mean everything else in life is going wrong. In fact, I just had this conversation with my husband about our infertility last night and just talking about how important it is for me to, yes, feel the feelings of infertility, feel the feelings of this challenge. It would be wrong not to, but also not to get so bogged down into that mire that I'm forgetting that the Lord has blessed me with so much. Lance was able to sit down because he has relational equity, which is something we'll talk about in a minute, with me and talk through that with me. He was able to show me that, yes, this is hard, but look at all these other blessings and therefore he helped me cope. Moving on, the next blessing I talked about was friends learn from each other. And I apologize because somehow I got these all out of order. They're all in the book, but this podcast episode just going to do its own order. Every individual who enters a friendship will bring their own set of experiences and skills into the relationship. Therefore, having friends allows us to learn more than we would otherwise. This in part goes back to how we enrich each other's lives. Because we all have our own backgrounds, because we all have our own walks with the Lord, because we all have our own passions, we're able to bring all of that and teach each other and learn from each other. One of my favorite things I have learned this last six months or so has just been that when we walk through something, the Lord gives us a lesson, but it's never just a lesson for ourselves. We're going to take that lesson and teach others in our lives because that allows them to grow in their walks with the Lord. On maybe a less serious note with our hobbies, think about our hobbies. Rebecca and I are both writers and we've both helped sharpen each other's skills through writing this book, through writing other things, we've come to help sharpen each other's skills. My friend Courtney is very good at living off her land. Those are skills I want to learn. I've learned a lot from her. We may have friends who have hobbies that we really are not interested in. I think, for example, sports. My husband is a sports fanatic. He really enjoys college level sports. He has tickets to his alma mater football like season tickets so he goes quite often in the fall right and while football and sports is not my thing it has bettered our marriage because i have taken the time to be invested to go to a game or to a season with him and enjoy what he enjoys and i've even ended up learning a little bit about football in the process i'm going to read an example i shared in this book just as another personal example so during my sophomore year of high school, our band instructor, for whatever crazy reason, don't ask me why, he was kind of off the deep end, but anyhow, decided that the marching band would be composed exclusively of brass and percussion instruments. This meant that those of us who had played a woodwind, I played the clarinet, were put in the challenging positions of having to quickly learn. He decided this in like August. So we had to quickly learn a whole new instrument at the same time as learning all the marching drills we did. I was assigned a baritone, as was my freshman friend, someone she was a year younger than me, named Brandy. Brandy and I ran in completely different crowds, to the point that if it wasn't for band, even 
maybe if it wasn't for having to play the same instrument, we wouldn't have gotten to know each other. We became fairly close friends throughout high school, and to be completely honest, neither of us really ever learned to play the baritone that year. Rather than learning a new instrument, my friendship with Brandy taught me what a blessing it is to have a friend from a different circle than my usual friends, and it's often these differences that will cause a friendship to bloom. This was 16 years ago at the time I wrote this book. This is now 18 years ago, and I still talk to Brandy on occasion. What a special season that was, and what a special lesson to bring from that season. I would encourage you, because I don't think this is something we often do unless we're writing a book on friendship, or likewise, to sit down and think about what your friends have taught you. Maybe journal through it. I think you'll find some treasures in there. Think of what you've taught your friends. Think about what you have to teach your friends. Maybe you have things that your friends would really benefit and grow from, and be blessed by that you haven't taught them yet, and you can take the time to do that. Another blessing is friends help when family cannot. Proverbs 27.10 tells us, Do not forsake a friend who is living nearby in favor of going to a brother's house who lives far away. I love this verse because my brother does live far away. It's not saying anything against familial relationships. Those have their place. Those are important. It would be foolish for me, for instance, when Matthew had creep this last week. I cannot get a hold of Lance. He's in a work meeting. He had his phone off the one time he had his phone off. He always has his phone on. But anyhow, my friend Becky, I was able to call her and ask her to come over here and watch Zachariah while I took Matthew to the ER. It would have been foolish of me to call my brother, who lives 10 hours away, because he couldn't have done anything. His hands were tied. I have a friend who lives close. She was able to come over and help me. Again, this isn't to say anything against families. God has placed us in families, and there is a divine purpose for them. While we should love and cherish them, we also need to realize that they aren't the end-all be-all. God has also enriched our lives with friendship relationships. I talk in this chapter about when my Matthew was born, and he had, he was a sugar baby, so he had low sugars that he needed to be in the NICU for a week to adjust. Being the first grandson, my mom wanted to come visit him, of course, naturally, but I felt like the NICU wouldn't be the best place for this to happen. So for the first week of his life, it was majorly just Lance and I. It's exhausting. We're first-time parents. We're thrust into the NICU. We don't really know exactly what we're doing. My friend Holly, I met her through college a year before this, brought us a meal. And even in that what was a simple gesture, it wasn't simple to us because it meant so much. It meant we were seen. It meant she knew how to take care of a basic need of ours. We needed food. It was wonderful to have food that wasn't hospital food. It was wonderful to visit and be able to introduce her to Matthew. She was actually a friend I student taught with when I had to go on bed rest and stop student teaching because of some complications in pregnancy with Matthew. And just what a blessing it was for her to be able to step up and fill that role in that time. She wasn't family, but she saw a friend in need and provided. And it's still, Matthew's going to be seven in September, so literally six and a half, seven years later, still blesses us. We still talk about the meal Holly brought us. May I encourage you to step into that role? You may not know how a simple gesture is going to bless your friend, whether it's bringing them a meal or offering to do a chore for them, bringing them coffee, sitting down and chatting with them, bringing them a flower. It doesn't have to be some extraordinary act we do, but let me encourage you to do those simple deeds because you never know when it will bless someone like Holly was able to bless us. Finally, friends provide support and accountability, and this is where we're going to talk about relational equity, as I had said when I was sharing about how Lance was able to talk and speak into my life last night. With friends who do not share a close relationship, friends who have not done the work to make a close relationship, we're not going to share 
relational equity. I want to caution you not to speak into unless you are led by the Lord. If you are not led by the Lord, please do not speak into or allow others to speak into your life, just anyone's life. Because again, it takes relational equity. It takes the work, the um, intention of building friendship in order that speaking into someone's life is healthy. I think we can all agree that there's a difference in our close friends and someone we just see at church and say hi to. There are, of course, times we can walk up to our friends at church and maybe ask them a question and therefore they can speak into our lives. But without having been granted the permission, again, I just want to caution us to be close. This blessing of support and accountability, especially accountability, comes from the work and intention it takes to growing and building a friendship. And it's these friends who know every bit of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, who are able to hold us closely when we go through hardship and the ones who are able to cheer the loudest when we have joyful moments. I just love that. What a treasure that is for our lives. That type of friend is my encouragement that we would have those kind of friends, yes, but even more than that, that we would be those kind of friends. With that, we move into how we close this chapter, which is really taking Proverbs 18, 24. If we want to be friends, we must show ourselves friendly and explaining that a little. I go into three different ways. Again, there's more ways than this, but for the purposes of this chapter, three different ways that we can be a good friend. One of those is listening to others. In this section, there's a lot of quotes. I'm an author. I love quotes. To start us out, Ernest Hemingway once said, I like to listen. I learned a great deal from listening carefully. Most people never listen. That's a little sobering. Most people never listen. I think we often think we're listening, but how often are we truly listening so that we're hearing? How often when we talk to our friends, are our minds filling with something completely unrelated to the subject at hand or trying to formulate our next response, therefore rendering our ears, our listening, unable to hear an actual word a friend has said. Because we struggle with listening, I thought I would include some best listening practices into this chapter. The first one is to give the speaker our full attention. And these are kind of like when we hear them, well, duh. But it is common hang up when listening to others to want to interject and offer our advice on how to fix or better an area in which our friend is struggling, right? Our friend comes to us with a burden and because we have a heart, a concern for our friend, we jump into wanting to fix it but we haven't listened. I would encourage you, unless your friend comes up to you and says, hey, can you help me with, that we don't try to fix it. Our friend just needs to be heard, to be understood, to know that there's someone in this world who has their back. And when listening, I encourage you to listen using your friend's point of view rather than your own. Example, we all have, or like metaphor, we all have sunglasses we wear, right? You put on those sunglasses that have the gold tint before and the world before you turns golden tint. Everything we see has that gold chain until we take those glasses off and everything looks normal again. We all have our own mindset, our own quote-unquote pair of sunglasses that we see our world through. It can be very easy when listening to someone else to only look through our set of sunglasses rather than taking our pair off and trying our best to put theirs on to see why they might be handling something as they are, right? For instance, and we've talked about this here on the podcast before, I remember, just for example, this spring, earlier this spring, when I found out my friend Katie was pregnant, I was super excited for her, yes, but because of what I'm going through, I heard that news and automatically broke into tears. 
not because I wasn't excited, not because I wasn't happy for Katie, but because in my own experience in wanting a baby so badly and having Katie be like the sixth or seventh person I heard of even in within just that month of getting pregnant, that news was a hard pill for me to swallow. I don't use this point to say it's all about me. I don't use this point to say that we just think about ourselves when our friends come to us, but we need to think when a friend is sharing something with us more so through their point of view rather than I should have taken off my struggling with infertility glasses right then and put on Katie's glasses. Oh my goodness, how exciting. I'm so excited for you. You know what I mean? Not that there was anything inherently wrong with my feelings, but when a friend is talking to us, sharing good news with us, right then probably wasn't the time to break down into tears. The next best listening practice is to repeat what we have heard to make sure we have heard right we can repeat back in our own words what our friend says shared, and then it can be easy for our friend to either say, yes, that's correct, or no, you misheard me here, and repeat their message to us. Super silly example. If I said to you, my favorite fruit is a banana, but I also like oranges. I'm not sure if you're sitting around talking about fruit, but if I had said that to you, and you do not like bananas, I know one of you out there, I'm thinking of one of you out there that doesn't like bananas. So much so that she'll not even allow bananas to touch her other fruit. But that's just beside the point. So if I was talking to this friend of mine who doesn't like bananas, she may have unintentionally tuned out at banana, thinking that I was going to share a banana-based recipe with her. If she then repeated back to me what I had said, she would learn that her thoughts took an entirely different turn than what I had intended. Obviously, as I stated, that's a nonsensical example, but it goes to prove a point that our minds can sometimes be so easy to jump somewhere because that's what we think is coming. That's what we think our friend's going to say when that's completely not what our friends had in mind to say, and therefore we miss their message. And next, give your friends center stage. It's easy to want to share a story from our own life that we relate to our friend's story. We do this all the time, I think especially as females, but that takes the focus off of what our friend is trying to share and puts it back on you. I remember doing an exercise in a must been middle school or high, early high school where we had a friend, we had a partner, and a ball, like a bouncy ball, a gym ball, and we're trying to keep learning about communication and trying to keep the ball in our friend's hand as much as possible. We would try to ask questions to further the story of our friend, to bring out the most detail of their story. So we would ask a question, hand the ball to them. They would answer the question. We would have the ball again to ask another question. But again, the goal was to get the ball in the one that was sharing the story, their hands more so than ours, right? When we share our story, that metaphorical ball gets back in our hands. We want to hear from our friends. I'm not saying there's not a time for a conversation where we go back and forth, but sometimes, especially when a friend needs to share something, we want that ball squarely in their hands. And I didn't necessarily talk about this in the book, but something I have learned probably from the time I wrote this book onward is practicing the pause. I think we're so used to responding right away, especially maybe because we're in a go, 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 go culture. And if we respond right away, then we can move on. But let me encourage you to practice the pause, to pause and pray. Because sometimes we don't know. A friend comes to us and we don't know how to respond. And we don't have to try to make ourselves look good by giving the best response, the best thing we can do, the best way to make ourselves look good, if that's what we're concerned about is to stop and pray because then God can give us an answer and we can give our friend that answer. And it's not only helping 
our reputation, but it's helping our friend more so than if we had just spouted off. And finally, what we all in this generation need to hear, put your phone down for the love of all things holy. When you're talking to a friend, when visiting with a friend, when listening to a friend, please put away your device and look at your friend and speak with your friend. I can guarantee you, your phone will still be there when you're done with your friend. When we are spending time with our friends, when we are in the presence of an in-person friend, our phone should not matter. When a friend is on a phone or when we are on a phone, I can guarantee you the one that's not on the phone is feeling like they aren't heard and perhaps like they don't matter to you because your phone is becoming more important. That's what you're looking at. That's what your focus is on. When we're taking the time to really listen to the heart of our friend, it is then that communication is sure to abound. It is then that our communication will be blessed, that we'll hear each other, and that our friendship will grow. That covers listening. Moving on to how else we can show ourselves friendly is by studying other people. And again, I told you I had quotes in this section. Dale Carnegie says, You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. There's a country song with the same theme, right? People want to be heard. As we've said, they want to be understood. And a great way of doing that, a great way then to build friendship, is by studying people and making it your mission to get to know people. I talk in this chapter about how my boys, how they love playing together. They love doing just about anything together. If my Either of my sons are playing, and say Matthew's playing, and Zach wants to play with him. Zach has a better chance of playing with Matthew if he goes over and joins what Matthew is doing, and if he tries to pull what Matthew's already invested in, pull him away from that and get him to play something different with him, right? We want our friends to join in in what we're doing. We want, in a sense, to be studied. We want to be known. I encourage you to do that with your friends. I encourage you to make it your habit. Make it your goal to get to know your friends in such a way again i can guarantee you these things will show yourself friendly and therefore you're going to deepen friendships you already have and might even gain some new ones in the process to wrap up the chapter we talk about truly loving others with a quote by ralph waldo emerson the glory of friendship is not the outstretched hand not the kindly smile nor the joy of companionship it is the spiritual inspiration that comes to one when you discover that someone else believes in you and is willing to trust you with a friendship. There's a reason God made the second commandment, loving others as we love ourselves. People thrive when they're shown love. I talked in this chapter about a study that has been done. A researcher took two plants. Both had the exact same care. The same fertilization, the same pruning, the same sunlight. Water, you think of everything a plant needs. It both had the same exact physical care. He took one plant and said nothing to it. He took the other plant and spoke kind words over it. And how that plant who had the kind words spoke over it flourished. But that plant that nothing was said to it, it survived, but it didn't flourish. It just goes to show how important loving each other is. Colossians 3.14 tells us, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Nowhere in the Bible will we find a commandment telling us to love ourselves. Indeed, we find verses that tell us to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, and to serve others in brotherly love. We are called to love our friends, even when they forget our birthday, lash down in anger at us, say something hurtful, or are selfish themselves. I love the message version of 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, which reads, Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. 
doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks bad, but keeps going to the end. Caveat, because you know I'm the queen of caveats. That part that says puts up with anything I want, puts up with anything that's done in love, puts up with small inconveniences. It's not always an easy road, but it is the road that will lead to deep abiding friendship. Thank you for joining me for another installment of this series. Like I said, I've been loving this series. I love sharing with you guys this book. It's my hope that you're blessed and encouraged and ready to go love on your friends. I will be back in two weeks with chapter four. Until then, have a wonderful last weeks of spring. I cannot believe spring is wrapping up already, but I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back on June 17th. Mm -hmm.